Right, you are listening to In Conversation With, with myself, Colm, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Mr. Gavin Kelly. How are you doing? And Mr. Greg Mulhall. How are we today, lads? Before, I, know you're, I know you're eyeing up for your usual first question, but... Um, well, let's introduce the guest first. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> joining us today is the um, CEO of DCU Sport, Mr. Ken Robinson. How are you, Ken? I'm good, Colm. Good to see you. Thanks very much for joining us. Pleasure. And Greg, you said you wanted to interject before I asked the first yeah, question. Yeah, so I know our usual first question, which will now be our second question. Mm. Ken... What's the dimensions of this room? Oh, that's a great. I would say this room here is probably just shy of about eight hundred square feet. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with. Barry. We're, we're going to get <laughs> the building plans, and we're going to see. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get onto that little tidbit. That'll be explained later. But uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll start like I traditionally do, Ken. Um, and again, this this came via Ross. So a big thanks to Ross Munley and the alumni office for setting this one up. Uh, but what was the initial thought when Ross asked you to come on this podcast? Well. I'm 14 years or so in DCU, so any time a student body have ever asked, can I help them out in any way to help them with their experience, it's always a yes straight away. Yeah, so fair I mean, enough. I know, mean, yeah, it's been, it's been a consensus answer for a lot of people. Yeah, that, and that, that would be it. You're, look, be you're it. looking to give back, yeah. yeah um, so we'll dive straight in. Dive straight into it. Um, but we'll, go, we'll go back to the very, very start. The very start. You're a Fairview boy. Yeah, I'm actually from, Fairview was probably the posh way of saying it, I was from Clonliffe Avenue, okay. which was technically Ballybock, mm-hmm. so when you went down our street, if you went right, you went to O'Connell's, but my mother decided to push me left, so I went to Fairview to Joey's. Oh, to Joey's. So that's where I went to Joey's in Fairview, so Fairview School, made my communion in Fairview's church, went to Joey's, and then for sixth class left and went to Mary's in Mullingar. Okay, yeah. okay. So and that, then you would have done your secondary school education. Secondary in school Mullingar. in Mullingar, yeah. And sorry, even though I'm a dub, I would sort of say my spiritual home is Westmead. like, you know, yeah, when you're driving home, you, you know, you feel like you're driving home when you're driving to Westmead. So okay. it's, it's always a nice feeling. My best pal for 40 years this year is still down there. So um, yeah, it's sort of my, my spiritual home. A lot of connections. Say, grow, growing yeah. up uh, in and around the Fairview area, like maybe setting the pace for what, what was to come in terms of like regular trips to Croke Park, I'd say, yeah. all the time. Yeah, my, my abiding memory when I was about nine was my dog getting stolen by some person going to the match from me there's something because me were playing that day and the dog went missing on Sunday afternoon and came back Monday evening drenched and tired and slept for two days so I was one of those dubs that you know I, I grew up in the 70s Dublin doing well in 74 first All-Ireland final 76 I went to 77 but um yeah, it was people parking outside our, our house and my dog going missing. So that, that was my big memory. I suppose you never had much love for the for the mead crowd anyways, so that well, certainly didn't help. It's funny, you know, without getting too sort of, you know, um, sort of pointed in this, my father's buried in mead. Okay. So we lived in mead. After Westmead, we went back to mead. Uh, I was slowly making my way back to Dublin, so that that's you eventually, my, that's you my excuse got... there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually live uh, just off Fairview. Oh, I live right. there in Marino. Um, I live with a 90 year old man in Diggs Brilliant. and he actually went to Joey's. Did he? He did. Uh, I think well before you now, yeah. probably. But, uh, but that's, and Joey's, like he would have gone to school maybe with Charlie Hawhey and Desi Ferguson and Oliver Freeney. Like Joey's was a class school at then. You know, and, and it's probably like Sing Street. It goes through a bit of a cycle, but mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, that would, would have been a really. Ivy League secondary school back it would have been, in his time. Yeah, you know? he you said know? himself it was considered a very good school. Gosh, yeah, we did entrance exam. You know, yeah, you he, in, he yeah. talked about the entrance yeah. exam. Uh, yeah, entrance exam on a Saturday morning to see what class you go into for a second class. Mm. You know, it was a bit strange, but it yeah. was a good school. Great sporting pedigree as well. You know, that's where he said he learned how to hurl. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, it's amazing. And then, funnily enough, he actually went on to work with Jimmy McGee in British Rail, straight out of school. So the two of them would have started at the same time, and they would have worked together for a good few years. Wow, Jimmy. wow. But I think that's great as well when you look at, I think something that's missed in society now is that 90-year-old living with somebody who's played 21, 22, whatever, to give those sort of Shanna Key-type stories oh, back yeah. then. I'm like, loving it. Like, yeah. I, I've, I've said it before. My grandparents would have died on my, my mom's side before I was born, and my dad, or sorry, my dad's side before I was born, my mom's side when I was probably four or five. So yeah. I never really got yeah. to get that experience. So Tom is my first experience of a granddad, brilliant. really. That's brilliant. That's uh, great. We call, we call him my Diggs granddad. Yeah, Diggs you know. granddad. Share a can of Guinness with me. We have a can of Guinness every night. Occasional whiskey if you're feeling a bit frisky. I rarely go for the Jemmy Chaser now, but Tom yeah. would have the Jemmy Chaser if the stories are, are rolling. Yeah. You know? That's a great story. And that's given him such a resurgence of life. Oh, he loves telling me these. Yeah. It's brilliant, though, isn't it? Really is. It is indeed. It's great. So, what was it like moving to Mullingar then? Shocking at with, the time. With a dub accent yeah, and Yeah, novelty. You know, it was a shock at the time because my granddad lived with us. He, was, he died when he was 80 in 1978. And leaving Dublin in the sort of cocoon of Dublin to go down to the country, like we went from a two bedroom, you know, small little terrace house mm-hmm. uh, to a four bedroom bungalow with a field. <laughs> and it was like, what's, what's going on here? I thought you were after getting posh all of a sudden. Absolutely, yeah. I tell you, I started sort of pronouncing my fours a bit different. Yeah. But no, it was good. I, like, I went down to Mullingar. I said, you know, the big thing is, great. Like, sport really helps you integrate. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to school uh, straight away out playing football, um, joined the rugby club when I was 12, played Gaelic football for Shamrocks and for the school. And once you play sport like that, uh, within a year, I was in the county final under 12, so all of a sudden you're integrated. Yeah, particularly uh, yeah. when it's, I think it's a very Irish thing, the GAA, like it is just a community in yeah. itself, yeah. so as soon as you get involved, you will make friends. Absolutely. Like, you know, and I think absolutely. the more rural you are as well, yeah. and it's, it's certainly the epicentre of you know most communities, and yeah. it, definitely. if you don't play, the, what's wrong with that lad? Why yeah. is he playing? You know, well, there must be some, something a bit queer about that yeah. lad now. Well, it was funny, like at the time, it goes to show you we, you know, society has changed. At the time, there was, I remember, there was one English guy, there was a dub, and there was a black lad. And like, we were the three novelty factors. Like, we could have set up a, a boy band or something. It would have been classic. But it was purely, like, that's the way Mullingar was. Now, you know, you walk from one end of the town to the other back in the day, you'd know everyone. It's great. Mm-hmm. I love that part. I love that part yeah. of the country. It's not like that now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's really mushroomed. But, uh, no, great memories. Went down. Um, and never looked back, left it, probably sad to leave it. Okay. As I always say to my wife, my wife's a dub, if I'd married another a woman from the country, I would have lived in Mullingar gladly. <laughs> gladly, because it's a, it's a great town, you know, it really oh, is. We've had, uh, Shamrocks hasn't been brought up, uh, it's been brought up before on the podcast, should I say. We had um, Connor Moore. Do you know yeah, 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 yeah. We had him in uh, talking about the the upcoming final that was at the time. And he was the Lowman's end of Mullingar. Yeah. No, no, he, 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 he Shamrocks. 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 They beat, yeah. they beat, um, they beat um, Lowman's in the Lowman's. final this yeah. year. I was at the game. But it was funny, I was in school with Connor's uncles. Oh, let's yeah. see if I can remember. Ned. 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 Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And John. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gary's the brother, wasn't it? Gary's brother. Full back on it. Yeah. So that was a good final. It was funny because Kevin Daly would have played rugby with me in Mullingar and Killian played wing back for Shamrocks this year mm. and Killian was here with us with Freshers when I called ah. Freshers with Ross so I know I'm getting old when I'm meeting sons, sons. Of, of, of lads I played <laughs> sport like, with like, like you've heard of the six degrees of separation 
that you're no you're no yeah. further than uh, six oh, connections yeah, yeah. away. In Ireland, it must be like two. I'd say so. Honestly, oh, I'd say so. I'd have pushed three, but yeah. yeah. I, I guarantee, if you walk into a pub in Ireland, you'll struggle if if you attempt it properly not to find someone in common with just a randomer in the yeah, pub. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, I think that's the nice thing about being Irish. I think it's it's certainly uh, it connects us, doesn't it? It really Definitely. does. Yeah, yeah. So, Ken, when you were young, you were playing a lot of sport. Was mm. a career in sport ever in your mind, or what was? With the young yeah. Ken Robinson want to do? Well, I think the biggest thing, uh, Gavin, that happened to me in school was uh, I was decent enough in school and in third year we did some sort of psychometric testing and you were given your IQ score and I found out I was the second highest in third year. Now that was the worst news ever to give me because I just thought, okay, sit back, hands back, <laughs> smoke the, the cigar and, and rock through this leave insert gig. That didn't happen. I got a good kick in the ass in reserve. So, um, and it's funny, Paddy Doherty, and Paddy's from uh, Westmead. Paddy is in charge of all games development referees in Crow Park. And I lectured Paddy in UCD this year. Paddy got highest. And I, I would always slag him this year. I said, Paddy, you got the highest. He didn't even remember. I'd remember those little details. Um, I didn't work hard enough for leaving Cert. My daughter's doing leaving Cert. She just got 400 points in the mocks. And I was saying, that's great. 400's great because you're not ready yet for mocks. I didn't work hard enough for leaving cert. And we were having dinner on Paddy's night. He said, what's the one thing you'd change if you were going back in time? Now, I've been very lucky in my life. I'm 52 years of age. I'm very lucky. I, I've got a really good life and I've worked hard. It's gone well, but I would have worked harder in leaving cert. To have that, what you have. I never had that college experience. I, I, I did my cert, cert, diploma, degree, masters, second masters, all at night time. I'm going to London on Friday week. I digress slightly to St Mary's in Twickenham where I've just done my Master's in Strength and Conditioning over four years. Now that was to consolidate my two certs back in 92-93 that really were my trade and my apprenticeship but missing that college experience because I would have loved it. I really would have loved it. Whether it was down to Athlone RTC at the time which is now Athlone IT just to get it. But I think really looking back and I say this to anybody of your age maximise your talent don't leave it behind you because there's nothing worse than thinking oh, I'd be grand. Now I was an only child so therefore I didn't have anybody sort of you know cutting the long grass for me going through so looking back at it now my experience to my daughter my son would be different to what I got. But anyway did I want a career? Yeah I wanted to be a PE teacher. That's what I really wanted to do. Or a sports journalist. Oh. Yeah would have loved to be a sports well, journalist. Well I'm going to bring it back there just yeah. slightly to what you said. I, in that interview that we spoke with that I went with, I, I had somebody look over my CV and we had a bit of a disagreement. I did two years of a three-year degree in NUIG and I, I dropped out. Um, I didn't complete the degree and I came to DCU two years later um, to where I am now. I was told not to put that on my CV because it doesn't look good that I didn't complete the degree. It, it doesn't show commitment and hard work and different things like that. But I, I distinctively disagreed with him because I firmly believe it shaped yeah. me and where I am today. Yeah. And I, for that reason alone, and I did include, and I was asked in the interview, um, you know, why did you leave? And mm. I told him, you know, um, I didn't enjoy it. But he said, you know, a lot of people want not put that on. Absolutely, I think you're spot on. If you look at the Americans, the Americans say, to be a success, you've got to fail. And I think we have this cocoon in Ireland of, you know, you go to school, you leave school at 18, you go to college, 22, you come out, you work, you get married by 25, and then you relax the rest of your life. And life is wonderful it doesn't work that way and, and I honestly believe what you're saying there how many times I enrolled on a master's in sports psychology in Waterford back in 06 
and I lasted two weeks because I realized... I mean, mm, it is Waterford in fairness. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to hold any grudges against you there. <laughs> but it was more the fact that, why am, what am I doing this for? I'm chasing a hobby. And I left it for a year and I did my MBA in the business school here. And that's where, I, even though my, my primary degree was in business management, mm. I wanted to do the MBA and I was like a duck to water. But I think when you're younger, like at that stage I was 40, but when you're younger, it's a hard decision sometimes to go, hand up, well, I think it's brave. I think it's brave, I think it's courageous, I think it's reflective, and I think it's insightful to go, no, no, that's not the course for me, I'll go this way. Mm. So I, I think, you know, you do what your gut says. So yeah, I wanted to do that, and didn't get enough points, and I knew that wouldn't happen. It wasn't like back in the day, you know, you didn't have PLC courses, you didn't have certificate routes. I mean, I look at one of the best programs, I'm going to TUD tomorrow, I'm reviewing a lot of their programs as a, an external uh, assessor. And I would look at the leisure management program in, D, in DIT, which is now TUD. If I were me then, now, I would do that. It's a great course. There wasn't that option at the time. So I worked. Um, I started in the gym because when I was playing rugby in Mullingar up to 18, 19, I was 15 stone. So I was a, a blocky prop. And I was fit enough, but... All of a sudden, I came out of leaving cert, and one of the things I did was join a gym. And when I started training in the gym, all of a sudden, this road to Damascus moment came along where I lost three and a half stone, and down to 11 and a half stone. And it was like, I'd walk down Mullingar and people wouldn't even know. You know how are you, how you John? Well, no, they wouldn't know. So there was this sort of new uh, development. And being in the gym, I realized, good God, after all this time, that's after getting me into shape. Brilliant, loved it. Gym job came up in the paper. And I went for it. And I remember my mum um, saying to me, there's a job there, it'd be suit you. And I thought, oh, no. And we had a row over it. I said, no, it wouldn't suit me. They'd want somebody big and muscular and, you know, blah, 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 weightlifter. But I went in, got the job. And that was 85. And 85 to 89, I worked under a world powerlifting champion. Okay. Silver medalist, under 23. Great guy, Tom Ward. And Tom, in those days, was on the job training. So he trained me in programming, exercise, uh, prescription, blah, blah, blah. And I, I worked. So in 89, I then managed the gym. My dad died in 88. I was 21. And God rest him. And I, I then decided, right, I had the opportunity then to manage the gym. So I managed the gym from 89 to 93. And around 92, I realized, this is great, but I need to qualify. I need to get some paper here. Because this is now six years since I've left school. Sorry, 92, nine years since I've left school. No papers. And at that time, yeah. like, as much as, probably not to the extent that it is today that a piece, sorry, the piece of paper, the mm. degree, the diploma, whatever it may be, is it's a requirement. Yeah. Back then, would it have been a requirement or was it a bonus? Do you know what it was, Greg? It was something where I thought, I, maybe, I'm not trying to claim, oh, I was this visionary, I could see it, but I was protecting myself. Okay. I could see that there was more and more courses coming along. And it was all right to have the experience, but I, I also was building myself up for the exit interview. And I knew if I sat across a table that on-the-job experience was one thing. So I ended up going to Brendan Hackett in Motions and League Slip, who ran the National Certificate in Exercise and Fitness from Limerick for an academic year, September to May. Brilliant. I only spoke to him recently. He still retains the integrity of it. Some course will offer them in 12 weeks, become a fitness instructor in six weekends, which is horseshit, really. You know, you need to have that. And... I did that, and then I did level two. Um, my mother gave me 850 pounds at the time to pay for that course. 
She said, no, I want to pay for it. There you go. I paid her back subsequently, I think. But uh, anyway, I did the course. And then in 93, I moved from City Gyms to Kiltiernan Sports Hotel, which is gone now. But that was where the ski slope was, etc. And I went in there as fitness manager and they paid for my level two. And the funny thing was, I was still carrying anatomy and physiology from those courses in my master's in strength and conditioning, which was amazing. It was really a very good course. So I was 93. And then in 93, I went to Kiltiern and stayed there for three years, built it from 600 members to three and a half thousand members, wow. which was great. And at the same time, started training teams. I trained my first team, Leitrim, Dublin-based lads in 89. And then I trained Wicklow under 21s around 94. And in 95, I started with Glenan Hockey. And Glenan Hockey was through a friend of mine said, listen, we need an outside physical trainer. We have a very talented crew. Subsequently, Graeme Shaw, who was the Irish uh, senior manager. Sharpie was with us then, he was only a kid. And he had no caps, he ended up with 154 caps. And I was physical trainer with them for 10 years. Wow. And it was like, I had no background in hockey, but I could train people, I could gel people, and I enjoyed it. And we won Leinsters and all Ireland, etc. And then in 95, just on the career, I then, 96, sorry, I went to general manage ESB Sports Co. And that's where I moved. I was offered RTE to do the fitness slot. Or I was offered, and I was offered a high-level multimillionaire Irish person as a PT. But I decided to go the business route. Um, thought there would be more future in that. Just safe. And uh, so that brought me to 96. So okay. I'll stop there for, so you can throw a question. <laughs> but that brings us to 96. So... Gavin, it answers your question yeah. in a long way, but that was the that was the thirteen year journey to ninety six. Well, my first question to that is, how did you go from six hundred to three and a half thousand? What was your recipe there? The USP we had, Greg, was this. Kiltiernan was a lovely setting, and it was right in the Enniscorty, Enniscarry, uh, Bray border, um, and Westwood was out there as well in Leprechaun Racecourse, and they were forty pounds a month. And we went in at thirty pounds a month. And a little bit like the gym here. Got great staff. I had three staff when I started. I ended up at 26. We had, great, yeah, we had great classes and a really good atmosphere. And a little bit like here as well, any gym I've ever managed has always had that success factor of being clean and welcoming, having great staff and great classes. Because a dumbbell's a dumbbell. Treadmill's a treadmill. But if you've got great classes, and we had all the people from Greystones, we had the people coming from Enniscarry, Bray, and then we made a mistake. And it, you learn this in business. Westwood extended our pool, made a bigger pool, and we went to 40 quid a month. So you had this, boom, and all of a sudden it went down. So in 96 then, I left and went to ESB Sports Co. as general manager, I was recruited. I've applied for one job in my life. One job. And that was 1985. I haven't applied for a job since. That was the man to be manager of? That was to go in as a PT and, and the gym okay. instructor. And then 89, the same, we had two branches, one in Donnybrook, one in town. I became manager of that. 93, Kiltiernan asked me to, no, sorry, I tell a lie. Kiltiernan I applied for. Okay. And after that then, ESB came for me for 96. I stayed as GM there for 2004. And it was a very interesting story. And I, I like to share this because at this stage of my life, I like to be honest with stuff. Uh, well, always honest, but openly honest. Um, my wife said to me, I got engaged to my wife in 93. And she said to me, even though she loved me, of course, she said, you're weak on paper. <laughs> and I went, what? 
And at that stage, like I'm 26 years of age with an ego running out the door, thinking, week on paper, me. And I was, she was dead. Right? It's, it's, it's a manly thing. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, it was like, to question my manhood almost. <laughs> yeah, week on paper. But I was. And the problem was, she said, you've got good experience, you've a couple of certs, but she says, when you start going for jobs to be really making a dif difference, they're going to say you're weak on paper. Well, anyway, talking about Groundhog Day, I'm sitting in the ESB head office up on the top floor, being interviewed by five people from HR and management, blah, 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 going for the general manager job. And apparently 100 had gone for it. They interviewed 10. And the guy says, you're weak on paper. I thought my <laughs> wife had just entered the room. <laughs> so I said, yeah. I said, it's a fair point. I said, I don't have a degree. But I said, I'll tell you what I have. I have 11 years experience. And if you pay for my degree, I'll have it in three years. So anyway, subsequent, got the job. And they sent me for my degree. So I did, and it's funny when you look at education, and you guys are in the thick of it, and it's wonderful. As a friend of mine says, there's two things most important in life, oxygen and education. And when I went for the interview, or the, the interview and they paid for my degree, I was scared to do a degree. Because I thought at this stage, my academic confidence was in my boots. Because, you know, don't forget, I had probably got the equivalent of 290 points in my leaving cert, if you put it back. And even though I had rocked out a good junior cert, but it didn't work hard enough. So what happened? They ended up, I did a diploma. And I did a two-year diploma in business studies. And because I got a 2-1, I was able to go into year three of the degree. So I ended up in three years getting two pieces of paper, a diploma and a degree. Very good. And that was great. So that then, that was 2001. Our Michael was born in 98. So that was 98 I started, 2001 I finished. And that was like, I always describe education as, that was the jigsaw puzzle that then started putting the pieces in the right way to crystallize a picture. But it was a, a, it was a monkey off my back because all of a sudden by 2001, having left school 16 years earlier, I now have my degree. And it was probably something, Colin, that I wanted to have probably in 1991. And eventually I had it. So that was me. I was in Sportsco then for eight years as general manager. We had 11,000 members there, big facility. I left it with a 12 million. My legacy there was I left it with a 12 million development plan, which came to fruition four while I was there, eight more afterwards. Uh, national quality finalists, good team. My operations manager became the, the GM and I got my degree and it was profitable. You know, we turned over about at the time, two million a year, making about 350,000 profit. And then in 2000, I started lecturing 19 years ago this month in UCD. UCD came along and asked would I start lecturing on the diploma program, and I did. And I enjoy that, and I do strategy and operations in sport. And that was really funny, Gavin, because that was bringing me right around to Jeepers. Here's this, as a friend of mine, Mick Bowen always says, you're like a third level PE teacher, because you know all of a sudden here I am, lecturing and I wanted to be a teacher and I'm coaching and I wanted to be a PE teacher. So it was quite poignant that the it went The course is sports management, is it? The course is sport. I, I lecture out there on sports management right. on the degree now, diploma's gone, and the masters. Okay. So I've had a lot of the rugby boys come through and I've had undergrad rugby guys as well. Do you do any lectures for first years by any chance? I don't. Okay. Funny enough, I start in second year, right. third year, and then I do master. Yeah. So if you I, know someone in first, I do, I they, do. they might have me in second year. Um, my mate Aaron, he oh, yeah, Burns, he moved yeah. then. Yeah, he did his leaving cert. He got 400 points, um, and the degree was in UCD. Uh, and 
You'll see a young come out. It's like four one. Missed out. And second round offers. Missed out again. Uh, so he went to Blanche last year. Great. And uh, he did a similar course. And then uh, you know he reapplied for this year. And like round eight wow. offers. Like end of September. Wow. Gets it. I didn't wow. even know there was that many rounds yeah, in the yeah, series. Yeah, yeah. that's incredible. It's a high demand program that, mm. and and like all, like a lot of programs, like I always think there should be a portfolio along with your points because you know people do it for the wrong reasons. Like the first thing you're doing communications, why you have an end goal. Somebody does sports management, what's the job? You know they really have to be a bit more aware. But yeah, so I'm lecturing there 19 years, and then in 2004 DCU come in. I was an external interviewer here. And they'd opened the new sports complex, the pool, etc. And the job was advertised. And I didn't go for a first time round. And then they came back again in the October. And I went, I'm here since November 1, 04. While I've been here, as part of my package, they've paid for two masters. So I did my MBA across the way, in the business school, which was brilliant for two years. Did that 07, I'm, I'm 10 years graduated in that. And then four years ago in 14, five years ago, I was in Australia for a month and sport in Australia is huge and you just and I was getting a little bit of a, an inkling I'd done my UKSCA which is the United Kingdom Strength and Conditioning Association certs and that was grand but something was itching me and I'd be pretty determined on stuff and I said you know what again a little bit like you asked me why the cert back in the day I was now seeing I was coaching when I finished with Ganan I went back to my own club and coached Luke and Sarsfields uh, the senior team and in 2011, November, I went to Ballymun Kickhams. And I went to an All-Ireland final with them, coached them with Paul Curran as manager for three years. But around that time, I was thinking, you know what, there's a lot of young guys and girls coming through with sports science degrees, and they're coming out with a lot of different qualifications, and I need to do something. And a colleague of mine who was working here, Martina McCarthy, said, listen, look at this one I'm doing, St. Mary's Twickenham, which is a pedigree, a high pedigree university. And it was something that was a two, three or four years online. It went over three times a year and I, they, I applied while in Australia. They accepted me and that was tough. That was, I mean, the, the level of science in it, the level of coaching was fine, but the science, the physics, the, the biology, the, the physiology, it was bringing me to a level that I, I was academically capable of but I had to challenge myself like, yeah. if I read a business paper I'll read a business uh, Harvard review paper in 20 minutes I'll speed read it I'll get it scientific papers I had to read it like I was learning to read English again okay. and so that took it to me but I was determined to do it I ended up getting a 2-1 in it and um, much I was delighted with it I seem to be 2-1 all my life because I've had 2-1 on my masters my masters my degree my diplomas my, I, I only got a pass on my first cert because I forgot my cards for <laughs> cert training I was sick of that but the point is you know am I academic mm, I don't know I'm more a pracademic you know I like to mix the two okay. mix the two well for someone that has you've got quite a list of qualifications yeah, now yeah, at this point yeah. for you to say that yeah. but like just to bring it back to what mm. you said there like obviously so you, you've been on panels for interview, you know, interview panels as such and, mm. and, and different things. Someone comes to you with 10 years experience, but they don't have a degree to their name. Mm. But you get a guy who has a year's experience, but he has four degrees, mm. you know, four qualifications mm. to his name. What do you think? I always work off the All Blacks principle, person before player. You know, you look at the legacy book, James Kerr's book, and they say, you know, look at the person. Because if you see an honesty in a person and you see a capability in a person and a potential and a drive, 
that comes to fruition when you're at the hardest part of the game. Somebody is, you know, cutting corners and training, missing training, excuse and training. When the SH1T it's the fan in a big match, they go missing. So I suppose you try to use your gut, and I love to give. I've not been ageist. I love to give younger people opportunities. Okay. Now the one thing I'm coming up against now is I'm getting people suffering from anxiety, and. You know, you, you have this plan, you think, listen, we could do this, and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed them. So I've got to be aware of that, that my vision of this, listen, this could be a great plan for you. We took a girl on placement from DIT recently, and she lasted three weeks. Okay. She wasn't able. Mm -hmm. But to really answer your question, I would go on the person, their potential, and their likability. Okay. I really think their likability factor, because nobody wants to work with a dickhead, and if they're a dickhead, they're better, the best dickhead in the world, because, when you work as a team, you want to enjoy working. Mm -hmm. You really do. And so I would look at the potential. Okay. And I would look at their work ethic. You know, what have they done? And the one thing I will say, people who studied at night time do have that work ethic of, you know, we've got to juggle everything here. Okay. But somebody goes straight to college could also be very good. But, you know, what else have they done outside? What, what has formed their character no matter what age? Yeah, I like that answer. Yeah. Um, this is probably going to sound like a silly question given you've been in the sports field for so long but have you ever throughout your career lost the grow for sport as like as it's in its most pure form as like your hobby what you mm. you've it enjoyed doing a chore as a kid to, has it ever felt yeah has it ever felt like a chore yeah like my escapism is I go over to Old Trafford probably no matter who you follow yourself and Ross probably quite Ross, often Ross and myself go about six times a year yeah. I go about 18 times a year wow. and that's my escape yeah. that's what I absolutely I, I would do that rather than play golf I, I, that's, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life I love going over um, sport the one thing I'd say Colm as a, as a coach you're a battery and when your energy is dissipating and coming down you have to do something to go and plug it in because if you go like I'm with Dublin ladies tonight before I go, I'll have coffee, I'll play my favourite music, I'll be on point when I arrive. Because it's not just when you go on field, it's greeting, it's the smile, yeah. it's, you know. Setting the tone. Setting the tone, setting the tone. That is mission critical because you don't realise how much you set the tone. Mm. Your parents coming into the house set the tone. You coming into the house sets the tone. The teacher in this classroom sets the tone. So setting the tone is critical. So I try to refresh, I do have a mantra, three years max for the team even though I stayed 10 years with Glenan, but that was probably not as intensive. Uh, Glenan, uh, Lucan was two years, Ballymun was three, Dublin Hurlers was two, then Dublin Ladies is three, with a possible fourth. So that's the span, because I think you owe that team, like Alex Ferguson would be an idol of mine, but he reinvented himself nearly every three, four years with a new number two. Reinventing yourself to be ready is critical. So have I lost the gras along the way? Yeah, it's a great question because I work in sport, I lecture in sports management, um, but I bring the business principles in and I like that side of it. I like using my MBA as much as my MSc and uh, having that mix of it, like, you know, I'll be meeting the accountants here, the finance director, COO, so you do have that business side of it. So I think if I was a pure PE teacher, going back to the, the 83 aspiration, it might become a little bit like a Groundhog Day tracksuit time. Yeah. Like tomorrow I'm reviewing the programme with TUD, that'll be a suit and tie job and it'll be coming from that perspective of being analytical. So I have variety. I learned a great term this year I didn't re hear before. I'm a blended professional. And I heard that down in Pats. 
um, you know, if you have a few roles, so I lecture, I run a business that's probably, you know, 2.7 million a year for that student experience. I, I coach and I do some consultancy. So when I put all that together, there's a little bit of blend of professionalism, yeah. you know. So and, that, and keeps when, me, when that keeps the butterfly satisfied. And when do you see your family in between all oh, of this? Though? All the time. My, my daughter said to me yesterday, Daddy, you're home already? I said, it's 20 to 7. She says, you only left earlier in the day. But um, no, I do. I have a great relationship with my son, my daughter. Um, I play golf with my son. I don't go to the gym with him anymore because he's too fit for me. <laughs> um, I go to matches with both of them. He's come to the Barcelona game with me. She's coming to the thing to Chelsea game. So there's a good blend there. Okay. So and you know what's it's funny, maybe I'm getting old and it's a sign of it, Greg. But my my highlight of my week now, sad as it is, is my hour and a half walk with my wife every Saturday morning and we breakfast afterwards. So I'm enjoying walking now. Now I'll run twice a week, I'll gym twice a week. But that walk is like gold us to have that time together. Okay. So, so yeah. So oh, I do. It? It's it's just the chat of going along. It's the, the chat. Stroll, it's the, the well. Come here. It's <laughs> she won't say it's leisure because we're we're going to walk Crow Patrick in August. Oh, um, so you know, like I'm a bit competitive. So every time we do it, it's not like you know full metal jacket walk. You know. Okay. Um. Although I did say something to her last Saturday. She said this weather is bad, and I said, look, I'd go home and. Vegetator. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. She didn't like that. She didn't actually, she'd get on with it, but it was great. Like, the same woman will lash out 64 laps in the pool here. Um, but that time together, and I think as I get older, I value my health, I value my time with my family, I value planning. I got a letter in last week from DCU telling me I'm retiring in 12 years' time, and I thought it was some old guy. Was that going to be thinking, who's that pretty old guy? You know, what's that all about? You know, me? I'm still 20. So, you know, you, you do plan as you get older. Maslow comes in, doesn't he? That hierarchy of needs. You know, that's why today is a pleasure. Today is not a chore. Today is to give you guys something that you're craft and your 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 skill and your your art and what you're doing brilliant to be on that journey so anything you can do for people you try and help can mm-hmm. as a coach you know for the players it's their job to learn from you but what have you learned from being with players and coaching them what have they passed on to you from just experience over the years uh, yeah do you know something Gavin? I, the biggest thing i've learned is what we said earlier on setting the tone like you don't walk in with a big I have an MSC on your chest and you know I'm the man and I've probably learned from female teams like in the age of equality they're different <laughs> and that's as true as God because I'd have the gym music for the, the, the hurling team different gym music for the girls mm-hmm. I get them to give me their favourite song I put it on Spotify and, and we're talking ABBA we're talking like maniac we're talking stuff that's like whoa really okay that's great if <laughs> I play, like night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if I play that with the lads I mean the lads would be more heavy rap and it's all lyrics that would like you wouldn't be playing to the, to the priest but the big thing about it is I've learned I remember reading a Harvard article a while ago Gavin and it said when you come to a senior position in work 80% of your time is spent on the soft skills. And that's critical. I was doing MBA interviews last week with students, uh, postgrad students, and that likability, that connection with people, that smile. I ran on the pitch, I, I do the running on the pitch, and the 2017 All Ireland final playing Mayo, and I ran on, Mick, the earphone came in, boom, on I went. And I went up to Rachel Ruddy, one of our players, she's a pro, she's a great player, and I smiled, I said, listen, it's going great let's move the ball quicker to get it out of the fence and move it well. The feedback afterwards was when Ken came on the pitch, he smiled. It calmed us. Now, that was in front of 37,000 people. Now, I'd been in Croker several times with the hurlers, only once with Ballymun. 
I didn't have that calmness in the Ballymun game because it was the first time. And you learn, learn from your experiences. Every day is a learning day. Every day is about meeting nice people, learning from you guys. You learn it from me, I'm learning from you. Sharing experiences. And I think your story, Craig, about two years in UIG and deciding a bar to go there, brilliant, because none of us are perfect. So along the way, reflection. A lot, like I'm reading The Chimp Paradox at the moment, Steve Peters, all about your inner chimp. I have that book. Yeah. yeah. You'll have it after three chapters, by the yeah. way, but it's still a great book. But it's just reflection on, okay, how do I, I would be impulsive, I would be, I would have had fiery temper when I was younger. But sometimes, somebody might be annoying you, but as Covey used to say, in order to be understood, seek first to understand. You know, just, what what's... What's Gavin's point of view? Okay, listen to him. What's he saying that for? Okay, as opposed to, no, that doesn't work. So I've learned my soft skills. And I would have thought coming along the way, I'm great with people. I know names, I'm great with people, and I, I can communicate and all that. Communicating sometimes is listening. Communicating is understanding, the smile. And the other thing a pal of mine says, when you're a follically challenged coach, you need to smile more. <laughs> because a bald head can be severe, so you've got to smile. And that's the thing, when the girls see it, I get texts all the time, the captain say, great session tonight, you set the tone. Now the key is, gotta learn that every time. Mm. So if I go over there tonight and I'm feeling a ah, bit, you know, the weather's all right, no, on point, ready. And the same with the customers inside, I was teaching this morning, and my oldest member of my class, 83, the first thing I think about when I go to that class is, what do my members who are ranging probably from 50 to 83, what do they want? They want mobility, they want stability, so balance, and they want a decent heart and lung worker. Now, you get that for them, they're leaving. I'm getting a lot of people saying to me, the class is brilliant, I'm feeling I'm doing this, I'm getting better at that. So it doesn't matter whether they're an athlete, a kid, five years of age, whatever. You've got, my son's a swim teacher, and he's saying he gets swim teaching to kids to get their confidence up. So think of every situation as being in the water. How do you get the confidence up and the self-esteem? So. That's what I would say. That's what I've learned. Well, like, okay, it's going to seem like an obvious question, but like, there has to be days when you're just you can't get yourself to that, you know, set the tone level. That, like, you know, you say your coffee, you listen to your bit of music, you, you get yourself in the zone. Like, it, it can't work all the time. Can no, it? no. And I, I mean, my wife would say, yeah, that somebody would say to her, God, Ken has great energy, and he's so, you know, she says, yeah, but okay. Ken at home might not always be like that. <laughs> so it's good. No, I think the thing about it is, Greg, I think you've got to, no, you, you'd be a hyper bunny if you're running around smiling, high fiving all the time. You've got to have your, your time. Okay. Like, I love me time. It might be gone. I don't play as much golf as I used to, but I go to the driving range 20 minutes half an hour, have a coffee, hit a few balls, enjoy. Um, I'm a bit of a sort of an OCD clean freak as well. When, if, I, if I hoover the house or I have everything's in order, that gives me an inner calmness. My kids laugh at that. They really do. When I say kids, 21 and 18, but they're young adults, but they laugh at me like that. You know, dad's off on one. But I, I like to get things in order, you know. And if, but also, if I've got my workout done, if I get, like today I worked out in the gym, yesterday I ran, gym the day before, rest tomorrow, gym Friday, walks on Saturday. Uh, so when I get those things done, and I'm eating well, I'm sleeping well, I find as I get older, I go to bed a little bit earlier. But I like to get up at half six, seven, have my first cup of tea. Um, Covey said it in Principal Centre Leadership, he said, you know, if you're happy with yourself, you'll be happy with others. But getting that quiet time, you know, to just, the drive home, 
um, watching something on TV that you really like. Um, but I think reflecting as well and realizing a great term I heard, a phrase was, today is the tomorrow I worried about yesterday and it didn't happen. So sometimes, and I see my daughter, who I absolutely adore, and my son, I adore him as well, but my daughter is a terrible worrier. Like, she was playing a match today, and she was worried about her mock leaving cert results, and I'm saying, listen, don't even worry about the mock leaving cert. That's only a test of endurance. You'll know where it's happening. So she's rattled out 400, they are in the Leinster semi-final, and today she's great. This morning she was like, this, you know, about to implode. As you get older, you realise it'll happen. You know, you'll make it happen. You can't be, you know, a mattress Mick lying back on the on the mattress thinking this leaving cert will happen because I have the second highest IQ in St Mary's <laughs> and Mullingar. Bring it on. Hard work beats talent every day. When talent doesn't work hard, to use that phrase. Um, so look, I think it's a balance. I think your health as you get older, um, you know, you guys can go out and do three and four nights in a row. At my age, we went to a wedding later last week. Friday wedding. Went to bed at two, got up the next day at 12, jaded. And that night, there was the second part of the wedding, and it's like, okay, here we go again. So you do value your quiet time, your health, but you also value meeting nice people. Okay. You know, you really do. And that can be from you guys to the older adults inside to the players tonight. You know, having Patrick's Day is a day I love. My favourite pub in Dublin is a cabin pub, oh. the Boar's Head. Oh, and yeah. Hugh Horrigan owns the Boar's Head, and it is just the best pub in the world as far as I'm concerned. And I went into there on, on Sunday, Patrick's Day, had some breakfast, had two pints of Guinness, went to the club finals with my wife, and that was lovely. And like, it's those simple things that are just, but you're meeting friends at the final and you're having another pint and you're just enjoying it. Look, that's what gets you through. But you do need that downtime because if you're with the team all the time, like we're going to Galway Sunday, two o'clock throw in, that'll be an 8.30, 9.30 meet, back at eight that night. But the one thing you've got to do is you've got to go with that positive frame of mind that, you know, it's like if you've been to Australia or America, particularly Australia, people say, oh, it's a long flight. No, it's an adventure. If you go with it, it's an adventure. Dress accordingly, bring your books, iPad, whatever it might be, look forward to the food on the plane, then it's a journey. But if you think, oh, you know, because people can be half full in Ireland, you know? Mm. You know, you give someone a compliment, it's like, ah, yeah, but. Mm -hmm. No, you're doing well in college. Ah, yeah, but. No, no, you're doing well in college. Thank you. The Americans are great. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I'm working hard. I think it comes a lot more naturally to Americans, yeah. you know, to compliment. And yeah, we push oh, that. Yeah. We're very If one of these gave me a compliment, I'd be like, okay, you're saying yeah. that. <laughs> what so what, what's wrong then? Like, that's exactly. right. Where, when's the butt coming? Yeah, when's the, the butt coming? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. One question I want to approach you, Ken, because you've um, coached so many successful teams, um, Historically or present, is there any teams that you would have loved to or would like to coach? And I'm not going to limit it to GAA yeah. or rugby or you can, if you Whatever can. code you yeah. use. Yeah, well, I mean, come here. I'd love my ashes scattered in Old Trafford because that's, yeah. that's, that's where I'm at. Since 1974, I've followed them. And, uh, but no, in teams, realistically, you know, I, I, I played uh, under Joe Schmidt in Mullingar. Joe Schmidt was great. And the, the, looking back on Joe, that was 91, 92. Joe had a smile. Joe knew names. And Joe acknowledged people. And his training methods were great because they got you with the ball early on. It was brilliant. Um, 
any time we go and camp, I remember being we won a European silver medal with, with Glenan in Gibraltar, you're there a week. When you do that type of pseudo-professional gig where you're gone somewhere for a week, mm -hmm. so that then Colin, it's like, oh, this is like what it's like to be a pro. So there is that nice thing that when you go on camp, it's like you're there. So to be in the professional setting of sport would have been really nice, to be with a Leinster or a Munster or whatever. Um, Dublin senior football, I won't get that because Brian Cullen's in situ in the athletic development side of that. Um, so Dublin, Dublin hurling was a great gig and I, I saw them win against Tip on Saturday uh, on the TV and I, they're just a brilliant bunch of fellas and Matty's at the helm now and it's great. I wish the hurlers great success. They're a great bunch of fellas. Um, looking back on it, if you said to me now, right, you're going to work on a team, yeah, I'd love to work in Premiership Soccer with a team. That would be lovely. I was watching that, even though I'm a United fan, I was watching All or Nothing on mm -hmm. Amazon Prime. Yeah. Mm -hmm great stuff with Pep or the and Sunderland Till I Die did you catch that one I'm going to catch that next yeah. that's the next one I'm going to watch but I mean you look at Pep and I'm a United fan I should hate City probably don't I dislike them but I couldn't dislike Pep no. God he's just I haven't, haven't watched that what an energy and lovely way but that professionalism to work with that a friend of mine breeds racehorses and uh, when you look at that talent like I've been with successful teams Colin um, I bring something to it but you can't put in what God has left out. And when there's talent there to be seen, that's where you maximise. That's where you maximise. And, and that's the one thing, you know, people say, can you make me faster? Probably not. But I can make you stronger, can make you fitter, and I can help you repeat your optimum sprint more often. But can I make you faster? Probably not. It's genetic. So, you know, you can't put in what God has left out. Uh, Ken, so speaking of Man United, I actually want to ask, um, of course, Jose Mourinho was fired mm. back in December. And a lot of people are saying it's due to how he treated the players, that the players mentally just weren't in tune with Jose's philosophy. Um, how do you look back on his brain? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was there for his first game when we beat Southampton um, back in his first when Zlatan came in. It was funny when he had Zlatan there. Yeah. He had his point guard. Mm -hmm. He had his go-to man. He had his dressing room orchestrator. There was no doubt about that. Zlatan brought a huge amount to it. Um, I mean... We enjoyed Jose early doors, but I remember being at the Crystal Palace home game in November, and I left it thinking, oh no, the football, I've now seen it, nil-nil against Palace. The best player in the pitch was Wilfred Zaha, who'd been at United. But I think Jose, every time he interviewed, he was looking for a fight. He was yeah. looking for a row. I remember the bags for his eyes. Oh, and then he started getting stubbly, and he started looking a bit dishevelled, and he wasn't happy. Yeah. And I think that the key thing is, if you're not happy, you get out, whether it's a relationship, college, whatever. Ollie's gone in and he's brought back that United culture, there's no doubt. But looking at it against Wolves on Saturday night, the apathy was, was pronounceable. I think he's got a strip about four. To me, centre half beside Lindelof, he's got to recreate midfield with some creativity and he's got to give us wingers. We've no Sané, we've no Zaha, we've no Sterling, we've no Salah, the way they run. And wingers, I was watching Giggsy's goal against Arsenal again the other day, wingers run differently. They're zany, they run, they're, you know, they're not predictable. You know, Rashford's on a winger, Marshall's on a winger, and we need creativity. So I'd give Ollie the job, but I would certainly think he needs a war chest of probably four players. But it's good, Ollie's at the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> Just going to bring it back since we're in the soccer sphere, Jim McGuinness um, has, I suppose, the way he's, he's forged his own way. Um, would you take anything from that? 
I think the biggest thing about it is I've never met Jim personally, but what I see his persona, he appears to be a very good guy. And I think when you look at a generic set of skills, I think in Ireland we're big into putting people in box. Where are you from? What do you do? Where do you go? How do you do it? There you are. There's your box. Thank you. And don't move outside that box. You won't. I remember when I went to the hurlers, people were going, so what do you know about hurling? I said, nothing. But I'll tell you what I got in two years. I was at the cup finals the other day. I wanted to see Ballyhale and, Th- and Thomas's first before I saw anything else, obviously it was the first match, but seeing that hurling is just a wonderful sport to watch. And I never had the appreciation, because when I went to Joey's in Fairview, and you can say at the time, there was no hurling, okay. there was football only. When I went to Mary's in Mullingar, there was no hurling, football only. So I never had that draw for hurling to hold a slitter and a hurl from a young age. But Jim McGuinness, going back to the question, appears to have those people skills that he can transcend into different sports. And I think the key thing is, and it goes back to, there's a great business principle called the Peters Principle. And Peters states that people are promoted to the level of incompetence for prior achievement as opposed to future potential. Now, what does he mean by that? Steve Staunton. Steve Staunton, magnificent player, Liverpool, United, uh, uh, Ireland. Not a great manager, though. So great players don't make great managers. Roy Keane, great player, not great manager. So it's a different set of skills. So Jim McGuinness can bring a skill set and transcend. Joe Schmidt could manage a Premiership soccer team. I've no doubt about that. Attention to detail, great person, great people skills, great organisational capability, bring in the technical coach. That's an interesting question now, actually, now that you think of it. What coaching, uh, let's say, senior GA teams would you, be, would you see comfortably managing a, a Premier League team? Well, Jim Gavin would. Yeah. Jim Gavin and a heartbeat Ruthless coach. efficiency. Yeah, ruthless efficiency. And Jim's on out coaching drills. So it goes back to that thing column of management coach. Uh, I was asked to coach my club team this year at Gwynn senior team, and I would have loved to do it, but it wasn't the right time. I wouldn't coach. I'd go in as manager, and I'd bring in a football coach. Because okay. I wa- what I would see there lacking was environment, uh, bringing the right people together, attracting the younger guys that I would have coached from four to 16. Different skill set. So when you look at that, you know, um, here's the funny thing and I don't want to be controversial, no disrespect to the man, could Brian Cody do it now? I think the energy and bringing something to it, Derek McGrath spoke at the GA conference this year, and I, I spoke at a, a side talk, he was a keynote. His passion, his energy, he could do it. Because you look at the intelligence of GA people, the intelligence of GA people, you know, too many soccer people think, oh, I played so I'll manage. It's not a God-given right, mm. but the problem is there's a union there that if you haven't played, it might be more difficult. Because yeah. people will always say, Mourinho, Wenger, you know, what have they done? The boy that's at Chelsea, Sarri at the moment. So they do look for that, what have you done, as the rightful passage and badge of honour. Mm. You know? It's um, kind of like punditry as well. Like yeah. sure, how many pundits do you see? I, I suppose apart from you probably the off the ball lads, you know, they're either former inter county players or yeah. managers and, yeah. you know. and, and some of them are great I mean you look at the soccer boys Lineker's done a great job in my opinion Rio is great on it Michael Owen is not um, in my opinion again you, you look at look at off the ball look at Tommy Rooney who we'll hear in, 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 the, in Freshers Tommy's done a great job Eamon Dunhu yeah. great fellas you know look Mary Crow you know look, look at that um, you know and it annoys me when I watch Virgin One Media and I see Paddy Mulligan being rolled out because he played for Ireland a thousand years ago there's some great people Mara Trasset Nick Gallagher's doing a great job like, like it's about the art, it's about the likability factor again 
when I watch that TV and I see the person, are they analytical? Do I like them? And are they making it? Lineker self-deprecating, you said it earlier on. Yeah. Lineker is. Lineker he, laughs. He can himself. take a joke. Yeah, He's yeah. great. And when you laugh at yourself, the man that I met here when he came in here for our heart program back in the day was Bill O'Hurley. Uh-huh. And Bill was a gentleman. And the sign of a gentleman. He was here walking around and when he was leaving, he hunted us out to say goodbye. But he was great. Look at the way he managed Giles and Dumphy and Brady back We'll leave it there, so. We'll leave it there, okie dokie, right, so. Yeah, our actual, uh, every year in DCU, there's an annual soccer game between the College View and DCU FM. And myself and Greg are head and deputy of sport. Um, not respectively, Greg is head on deputy yeah. this year. So it's our, it's our job to lead DCU forth. Uh, but the... Uh, the tournament itself is actually called the Billow Cup after Mr. Ah, Billow Hurley. Brilliant, so, brilliant. Um, he's a gentleman. He's oh, gentleman. yeah. I, I like when, when we were ever talking about like people we'd like to interview, if he had only. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. He yeah, would have no, been. It was great. Really like in similar regard, like we got to interview Michael Lester right. um, in September. Which, and you know, anybody that's grown up watching the Sunday game, like, yeah. It's, he's iconic, it's a, isn't it? It's a dream. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. We got Ross, thankfully, got us uh, Darren Maloney there uh, a couple of weeks ago. Again, again you know. Guy. Played golf with Dara and I've met Dara several times. Dara's a good, good guy. Super nice guy. Super nice guy. And I think that's the thing, lads. You know, you you don't have to be... Like, the All Blacks from their principles, no dickheads. And, like, when somebody walks in, you know, everybody's got to reflect. And I thought it was a great term last week. Is it Thomas Tuchel, the PSG manager? Yeah. He said it brilliantly. They said, how do you motivate, you know, the superstars? He says, you find the little boy in them. I thought, well, that's class. Mm -hmm. Because the likes of Pogba grew up in France playing football. He wants to play football. We all see the grass, we see a football, we want to kick it. Still motivate him through that. Because he's not going to be motivated by more money. Because he's got... So that's it. So, you know, nice people don't get walked on. Because you know to make the decisions. But fundamental respect, fundamental appreciation of people, and, and help people along the way. One last reset, and we'll move into the lighter side. Yeah, I've I've one last question before we get to the lighter side. The lighter side. I thought we were being light. <laughs> we, we call it the light side. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty conversational show. Yeah, no, general. it's great. The style of it's great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Stay you. Right, work away. Um, Ken, have you watched back Blue Sisters? Yeah, I watched it a couple of times. Um, that that was funny because. The boys that did that from Loose Horse um, were fantastic. And you know, the best compliment you can pay them was, we'd be on the coach, we'd be in the dressing room, whatever, and you'd hardly see them. And then you'd be aware that we're there if you were having a conversation, coming back on the bus. I love the bus coming back and it's dark and it's you're debriefing after a game, you're having chats, but they were there. Um, I watched it, we watched it in McGowan's the first time when, it's, when it premiered, and it was good. And uh, the boys stitched me up because the first time when they brought me into the Hilton in Kilmainham, and they said, so Ken, tell us about the journey. And I said, well, the journey of championship started in Leash, you know, really. And I remember that day vividly. It was a drizzly wet day. And when, since I was with Ballymun, you'd always, Semple Stadium, I remember standing on the goal and I'm going, wow, this pitch is big. Because we'd always look at how big the pitch was because we played a wide, expansive game. I watched Wolves beat United tonight. And Doherty and the other boy were on, as Giles would say, chalk on your boots because from the, from the, the lines. So that grew up to see what pitch was it, to see how it would suit us, because we were a fast-running, dynamic team. So brought that into the girls. So first thing I saw on leash was 125 by 70. Wow. First thing you think there is ambush. Wet day, small pitch, tight, confined, physical. 
You know, you watch a match from behind the goal. It was in Croker the other day, club violence. Watch it behind the goal and you can see width or you can see condensed. So I said, that was the way it was, went through it. Then I said, on to Nolan Park. And I love Nolan Park because it's a great sod and I threw in the measurements. So I go on, go on, go on, go on like that. And next day just plucked it like I was an anorak. Plucked it from there and plucked it from there. And it was all these pitch dimensions coming out, you know. So it was done with a purpose of play because you do have to look at that because we'd be big on width. And I see Guardiola's big on width. Angles and width. And he has Sané and Sterling right out wide. Because why not use the dimensions? You know, if you bring it in, you know, if it's five-a-side football, it's a smaller pitch. The bigger the pitch, the better players that are faster and moving the ball quicker. Crow Park never, ever um, is anything but a true indication of that. And the best teams perform best. You know, so Blue Sisters was good, but you know what it was? Great. It was great acknowledgement for the girls. Pity it wasn't this year because it was 50,151 at the women's final. But there was 37, and I suppose there was a good ending that we won. But it was good to show it for women's football, ladies' football, whatever you want to call them, because they're footballers and they train as hard, and they, they put in the commitment, they eat, they prep, they live it. And to have that recognition was terrific. You know, so. Yeah, I've only watched it twice, though. That's, that's I've it. watched it more times than yeah, you, then, clearly. Yeah, I've yeah. watched it three or four times. Yeah. It's, it's definitely one of my favourite GA related documentaries the last yeah. couple yeah. of years. Um, and we, we've been talk we were talking with um, Sinead Finnegan about it yeah. um, there just in December before we broke up for college. And um, yeah, like the 2020 campaign and everything, like women's uh, sports, both, both codes, like sport in general, mm. is going from strength to strength, and you can see noticeable differences year mm. on year. One of my students this year in third year in UCD was doing a, um, they were doing a presentation on camogie and they come up with a few interesting things I thought was really good because camogie's struggling a little bit at the moment. Mm. They said it should be called hurling, Com bringing it to hurling and they were saying that they should have names on the jerseys, they should do something with the helmets um, because that is the one thing, like I was looking out for TJ Reid the other day and I looked at him by his build and his gait and how he mm. runs but to boost that sport, camogie and hurling Hurling survives because the sport is so good, but Camogie does need that to be the uplifted. recognition the, factor, the personalities, yes. the personalities, because yeah. that's exactly it. You know, you you watch the NFL, I watch the Patriots. I love watching the Patriots, but you watch it for the Tom Brady is a big attraction. So even in ladies football, like the obvious names roll up, roll off your tongue, like Cora Staunton, like these are the names that are like kind of push or dragging the sport forward, yeah. and you kind of need those leaders if you will well I reckon we've got the best footballer in the country at the moment playing and that's Sinead Ahern and, and like that's not being boastful because you know you're not supposed to say these things as being Irish because if we got beaten this year well we had the best football she is magnificent her her footwork her ability to score her spatial awareness her sense her intelligence is just phenomenal really really is you know so. and you've obviously worked with some fairly successful teams as well yeah. how, in, in the men's code I suppose yeah. how does that even how does she compare in oh look you know at the end of the day as I said to a player on the other day look at Cara Finn Barcelona Manchester City what's the similarity move the ball simple and quick simple and quick better, player in a better position and the goal the other day from Cara Finn just you know accentuated that it was like simple angles up speed you know and players sometimes forget the higher the levels you go it's about doing the simple things quicker again and, that, and that's the when girls come into us in the panel they might have some levels of skill but it's how quick they move the ball not themselves you know because you get them sprinting they'll all sprint but it's moving the ball it's that 
quickness of the agility of the mind to move it quick. So, you know, but no, it's great to get those role models. It really, really is. And it's, it's like today, it's great to see women's rugby doing well in, in DCU. They're playing Limerick today and, you know, hopefully that'll go well. Um, so no, it, look, it's great that females have the opportunity to play sport at a very good level without being patronised because I, I firmly believe in equality terms that, you know, don't give somebody the job because she's a woman. Give her the job because she's competent and good and able to do it. You know, so whether you're male or female, you know, you're not just rolling in the token female because that's disingenuous and patronising. So if you're talented, you should have the opportunity. Well, that's exactly what Joanne Cantwell said to us. Nearly word for word. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, on merit, not sex. Exactly, yeah. Um, right, a little, we'll, bit, a little we'll, bit of light. We'll start to wrap up a little bit. Um, so you were talking there about how when you're getting prepped for like a training session or whatever, you like to, uh, to you drink your coffee and you listen to your music. What's in that music connection? Oh, I tell you, Spotify is the best thing ever to come along in my life because even in the car now, on the Apple CarPlay, it just comes out and tells me all. It shows you how collective my mix is. So my favourite band in the world are you 2 and the blackout is a song that they started a gig with this year in 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 the three, and uh, that's really good, strong, heavy bass. And I like that. Um, I could listen to Oreo Speedwagon. Have you heard of them? I mean, I'm going right back. Def Leppard, um, bit of Spandau Ballet throws in there. Be listen to a bit of Joe Dolan, but don't tell too many people. <laughs> um, so who else? I like, I like a bit of Sam Smith. Um, you know, I like a bit of uh, Pink is good. Roxette. It's so mixed, yeah. you know. Um, my best pal, he's a musician, and he he says like, I ask him what he thinks of you two. He goes, oh, you know, they're all right, you know. I just think they're brilliant. So it is quite mixed, you know. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody brought my love back. Queen saw them in '86 and Slain, you know, and Freddie Mercury, what a voice. So it's really anything that's really uplifting. There, great band from down your way, Wexford away near Waterford, Cry Before Dawn. If you ever looked them up, uh, they were absolutely class. Love Aslan, you know. So there's there's a load of them in there, you know. That's uh, the best way to be. Any yeah. music that your kids listen to that you you hate or you love? Well, my my, my daughter plays music that I think I'm gonna jump off a cliff every time she plays because <laughs> it's quiet and slow and loving and romantic and my son even laughs at it. But you know he listens to he goes to uh, saunas and places like that and festivals. So he listens to quite an eclectic mix of rapping. His friends are into techno. He's in more into heavy rap. But um, no, I enjoy it because I think being with the girls and there, you know, there, there is a lot of, you know, uh, stuff that comes through. Um, and then when you go, my cousins in England, their daughter listened to Ariana Grande the other day and Justin Bieber, that brings it down another level again of age that they're about 12. So, you know, but look, if it's good, it's good. I like watching The Voice. So, uh, you know, when I see, uh, I was at a match a few weeks ago in Palace and Ollie Moores walked by, you know, they get to see, oh, there's Ollie Moores. Um, so you know if it's good it's good i still listen to tom jones like brilliant singer so yeah you know some of the new stuff is great it's uh so, yeah if it sounds good i'll listen to it definitely a diverse range there oh listen <laughs> hey i tell you it's it's uh it's eclectic with a big e um ken so we've established that you like coffee but what kind of coffee do you like oh, the best coffee story i can tell you i always have a story arthur lanigan o'keefe a the rock star who's world champion pentathlon uh, and I was in class one day and we were talking about unique selling points and we got down to coffee and he said to me he said cost and he goes 3FE and I went sorry and he looked at me like it was the end of his shoe and he said you haven't heard of it so I hadn't heard of it and um, the best coffee I've drank in recent time, I have an espresso machine but I'm going off that and okay. um, there's a little cafe down in uh, Manor Street called Slice 
Okay. They do their own coffee. And my wife bought me yesterday a coffee cup that has the grinder in it. So you oh, put the coffee yeah, in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. So a bit of slice, bare coffee, mm -hmm. which is quite good. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've gone off an espresso. I think it's just too quick and How did the, the tree of fee fare? It was nice, yeah, smooth, it was lovely. And um, funny enough. McDonald's do a lovely coffee. They do, yeah. Do a lovely and coffee. And, and, and a nice affordable coffee. The, well. the yes. tree of I was telling you about was, if you remember, before we met Kieran McGuinness uh, from the De Laurentos right. in um, Two Pups. Yeah, yeah. They, they do tree of fee. Tree of yeah. It's nice. I, I think my, my wife's cousin in London there, two weeks ago when we were over, he bought himself a, a barista machine for a thousand sterling and his coffee gets delivered at 85 quid a bag and I'm thinking, okay, Bit yeah, it's a bit excessive, but the coffee is smooth. Mm -hmm. And I think the McDonald's, because I take my coffee black, so when you take it black, there's no Starbucks froth coming off mm -hmm. it. It's, you taste it. So, you know, it really is. And speaking of music, Coronas, I can't go oh, without right, I love the Coronas. I've seen them three or four times live, and they're great. Brilliant. I love Danny, he's good. He really is. But yeah, coffee. Um, although, I still think a nice cup of tea, Mrs. Doyle, is actually great. It's more homely. I okay. think it's more comforting having a, co uh, yeah, a tea Coffee's at home. more of an on-the-go kind Correct. of beverage. Correct. Yeah. It's out there. Give me a pep. Whereas walking down a busy street. Yeah, yeah. Tea at home is is quite nice. Yeah, that's good. Relate to that. <laughs> um, we'll go for three guests, living or dead, that you would invite out for a point. Right. I've a phrase that I always say: If I wouldn't have coffee with you, I wouldn't have lunch with you, and I wouldn't play golf with you. So I'm thinking, you know, who would I have as my ideal four ball? But as a pint, uh, actually, we'll we'll change it to four ball though. Four we'll cater ball. to the guest. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. Although the pint is probably good, who you'd have for for a pint. But actually, we'll start off with what would be the point of choice for yourself? I would drink. I I I only drink once a week since Christmas, and I'm off chocolate since New Year's Eve. So. Patrick say had to be pointy Guinness. Okay. So I like a pointy Guinness, um, or a bottle of Heineken. So okay. the wedding was a bottle of Heineken, but pointy Guinness. Have you tried the alcohol? Or sorry, the Heineken Zero. Yes. Well. Not bad. Yeah. Not that bad seems at to be all. The general consensus. Yeah, it's not yeah. bad. The only thing I would say is, from a calorific point of view, if I'm going to drink, but if you were drinking and driving, obviously you wouldn't drink and drive. Mm -hmm. But or if you were if driving, you were. the Heineken Zero has a nice taste okay. about it. Yeah, it's good. You could see yourself sitting down if you if you were could, driving. Yeah, and mm -hmm. you would have a couple. Yeah, whereas the Erdinger and stuff like that can. It's the bloatability it's very factor. Very gassy, the Erdinger. Very gassy. Yeah. yeah. It was like when I went off alcohol in, in January. Went out one night for dinner with my wife and a couple of friends, and I decided to go sparkling water for the night. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> you know, I needed a pinprick at the end. But who guests at the moment? I, I suppose if we went for the point, Alex Ferguson would have to be there. Oops. Yeah, definitely have to be there. I'd say he'd be more the uh, glass of wine type of man. Now probably would. Yeah. Well, I'd buy him whatever he wanted. That would be the big one. Um, Bono. Okay. Yeah. And um, see him as a kind of a whiskey man. I think. Yeah, probably. And let's say. Uh, who would be the fourth? My gosh! So I've got a sporting one. Um, I think Joe Schmidt would add an awful lot to it because he's a good personality, you know. Does he need to be good crack on the beard, over like? Maybe not. Maybe not. You know, you probably run a I feel like him and Ferguson would get a bit competitive trying yeah, to match some noise in the room. Yeah, 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 yeah. Throwing Freddie Mercury in there. Come <laughs> yeah. have a good blast. Good crack there. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, yeah, and Gavin, you can. Right, Ken, so we always end the show by asking our guests, what's the best piece of advice you've been given or that you could pass on to someone else? I think we said it earlier on. I think the only thing I can change about you is me. And I, I deal with people like I deal with my emails. I either deal with them, I delegate them to somebody else, or I dump them all together. And as I've gone through life, 
I, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed reading um, the, our friend, was Clive Woodward's book, Winning. And it's still a great book. You pick it up for a euro, but you get rid of the energy sappers. And I think there are people in life that, you know what, I realised that when I did my degree, I thought getting a degree would realise, oh, your management and aptitudes were going to be completely, you know, changed and, and transformed with this piece of paper. People are dicks. No great management training can get rid of them. You've just got to get rid of them or change them. So I think the only thing I can change about you is me, get rid of energy sappers, and today is the tomorrow I worried about yesterday, and it didn't happen. Brilliant. Thanks for your time. Definitely. Pretty good. Um, Ken, thanks a million for pleasure. Coming. Colin, thanks very much. Gavin, Gent, thanks very much, Greg. That was great. This has been in conversation with Ken Robinson. Thank you very much for listening.